Well, greetings, brethren, and welcome to another Wednesday night Bible study where we go line upon line to try to understand more precisely what God's Word says. Today we're up to Isaiah chapter uh, 17, and also I want to cover chapter 18. I was actually thinking of covering three chapters, 17 and 18 and 19, because 17 and 18 are fairly short, but I reconsidered because uh, 19 kind of brings in another topic area. Uh, so instead, what I'm going to do is just do a quick uh, rapid-fire review of where we have been, because as we're going through these judgments upon the nations, it can seem a little bit random. Uh, so I want to make sure that we do not forget the storyline, and then I think it'll seem a lot more cohesive to us. Um, let's open with a word of prayer, and then we can get into the study for this evening. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you, as we always do before we begin, because, Father, we want to acknowledge you. We also want to appeal to you, Father, that you will just be with our efforts to understand your word more precisely so that we can preach it more precisely. We thank you, Father, for the opportunity for us to gather together, even if it is uh, virtually. In fact, we thank you for this opportunity that we can have a broader reach. And uh, thank you for all those who faithfully tune in each week, either live or following the, the archives. We thank you so much, Father, because uh, in this crazy, chaotic world where there are so many infections of the mind, uh, we thank you for inoculating us with the power of your word. Uh, we thank you, Father. We pray that you'll help us to conform to your word, that you'll help us to conform to the mind of Christ. We also, Father, want to just thank you as we pray for our sister Lisa and her husband, our, our pastor Murray. We thank you for them, Father. We thank you for comforting them. We thank you for the signs of encouragement that we have received with respect to Lisa's health. We just ask you, Father, she's clearly in your hands. We appeal to you for your mercy upon her and her family, her husband. And we just thank you again for the, the encouragement that we are receiving as she slowly progresses. We also at this time, Father, are very mindful of our sister, Mary Bradar and the, the invasive surgery that she underwent today. Uh, we just, we appeal to you, Father. We thank you for your loving kindness and mercy. We thank you for the Bradars and the, the incredible um, hospitality and, and love that they have for the brethren. And we ask you, Father, that you'll bless them. And, and we, we look forward to hearing a positive result. Thank you, Father. Please bless our study now, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So yes, <clears throat> excuse me, let's um, go on, brethren. Please uh, continue to pray for uh, brethren far and wide that you're aware of that are suffering various health challenges as well as other trials. Uh, we're all in this uh, together. So we are going to just do a quick review of um, where we have been. I'm just afraid that as we go through, I guess there's a couple of things. As we go through these judgments upon the nations, uh, number one, as I mentioned, it might just feel a bit random, like this nation, that nation. So, so I think if we just remember the storyline, it's going to be a lot more cohesive. Um, secondly, as we go through these judgments of the nations, we have to have this dual lens. It's a, it can be a little bit confusing because these prophecies have been fulfilled historically. But there's a dual nature to the prophecies. It's very clear from the nature of Isaiah's prophecies that he wasn't just speaking of his immediate future. He was also pointing to the end time. So some of these things, as we're reading them, they have a very local, a very uh, historical context and, and application. 
But then also we have to have this sort of broader vision to understand that this is a pattern that has laid down that Christ came so that these patterns can be fulfilled to the full. So let's uh, let's begin. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. Let's um, go right back to the very beginning. What is the book about? What is this scroll? What is the subject of the scroll? It's the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. This scroll concerns Judah and Jerusalem. And we just have to be very careful that we don't get uh, sloppy and start applying this uh, more broadly, unless the prophet says specifically, this applies more broadly. If he doesn't say specifically, this applies more broadly. The vision concerns Judah and Jerusalem. So let's remember that. That's the topic. Now, dropping down to verse 24, and, and you know, just reading chapters 1 and 2 of Isaiah, we've got it. Like, that's the pattern he lays down. The rest of the book just amplifies what's in chapters 1 and 2, and particularly in chapter 1. But he says here in verse 24, Therefore thus says the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will ease me of my adversaries. So many are against God. And God is laying down the gauntlet here. I'm going to crush my enemies. I will ease me of my enemies and avenge me. I will ease me of my adversaries and avenge me of my enemies. Okay, so that's what's going to happen. Verse 25. And I will turn my hand upon you. Who's the you? What's the subject here? Judah and Jerusalem. So he's going to ease him of his enemies, and he's going to turn his hand upon Judah and Jerusalem. To what end? So is he going to now turn on Judah and Jerusalem to completely destroy them? What does he say? Now I'm going to turn my hand upon you, Judah and Jerusalem, and purely purge away your dross and take away all your tin, I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. So clearly, Judah and Jerusalem are going to suffer. But the purpose of their suffering is not to destroy them. In fact, it's very clear. As a, as a result of their suffering, they're going to be purified, and after their suffering, they're going to be restored. He says in verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. So Zion is going to have converts. That means somebody is going to be preaching the truth to Zion to give them an understanding of what is going to happen to them or what, will, what is happening to them in real time as, as it's happening, and so that they can understand and convert. So Zion, the, the whole process is so God can have these converts in Zion and God can fulfill his promises concerning Zion. So, so yes, they're going to come under severe uh, rebuke and retribution and tribulation, but not to destroy them. Let's be very clear about that. And it shall come to, so then chapter two. So that was chapter one. Let's go now to chapter two. And it shall come to, so after chapter one is so condemnatory. It's like you read chapter one. These are evil people. These are completely corrupt, wicked, evil people. Uh, they're like basically Sodom and Gomorrah. And in fact, the prophet says, unless God had left us a remnant, we would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. We would have been completely uh, corrupt, wiped out, and done. 
But no, that's they're different. They're in a different category because they're in the category of covenant. And so they're going to be reserved. There's going to be a remnant. And then chapter two opens and he says, it's going to come to pass. This will happen. This is what we're looking forward to in the last days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations, all the Gentiles, are going to flow unto it. So we're living in this bizarre, crazy, chaotic, upside-down world. That's going to change, and the world is going to be stabilized, and the world is going to be ordered. And that order and that stability is going to come from Jerusalem. That's, that's what's going to happen. And all nations are going to acknowledge it, and they're going to be anxious to learn, and they're going to continually flow there to worship God. And many people shall go and say, Come you, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. There's no confusion now. It's over. And there's no more Allahu Akbar or any other confusion and chaos and violence. There's just, hey, we've been deceived. God is the God of Jacob. And, and it's not, he's not the God of Judah exclusively. Jacob has been restored. All 12 tribes have been restored. And there's an acknowledgement that these are the tribes that are in covenant with God. So they're going to acknowledge the God of Jacob, and they want to be taught. <laughs> the craziness that's in this world today, the, like how does this happen that adult humans with, with the brain power that God has given us descend into this debauchery? And how does this happen? Well, there's a satanic force. But all of that's going to be over. And there's going to be an ordered mind and, 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 and strong moral compass. That let, let's go to Judah. Let's, let's go to Jerusalem. And, and, and we will be taught of his ways. And we will walk in his paths, for out of Zion shall go forth the Torah and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. That's going to be the center of the earth. Verse 11, this is the problem, not just with Judah and Jerusalem, but with all men. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled. This is why we celebrate unleavened bread. We don't want to be in this category. The lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of man shall be bowed down. And Yehovah alone shall be exalted in that day. All of this, um, all this uh, flexing and pride. In fact, we're in this pride month, whole month of pride that we're now pushing down into our children and engaging them in it. Uh, this, all this pride and, and arrogance all over the world, it's going to stop. And God alone will be exalted in that day. Verse 12, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon Everyone that is proud and lofty, we need to hide ourselves from this wrath. We need to know that he's coming in wrath. And we can't have um, preachers or teachers that are not telling us this, that are teaching us to take God for granted. You look at these Christian movements, and it's this Christ that, this is not the Christ of the Bible. The Christ of the Bible hates what's happening in our world today, and he's coming to crush it. And, and we need to have this, this wrath pass over us. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon everyone that is proud and lofty and upon everyone that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. So any sort of uh, movement, uh, religion, uh, quote-unquote, that, that gives you a sense of pride and arrogance and, and gives you feels that you have the right to crush others, you're in the wrong place. You've been seduced by the devil. Chapter 4. 
And it shall come to pass that he that is left in Zion, Zion is going to get such a beating. Jerusalem is going to get such a, a des- desolation. But it shall come to pass that the survivors, he that is left in Zion, and he that remains in Jerusalem, shall be called holy. And everyone that is written among the living in Jerusalem. So, so there's a process here. This, is a, this, this whole scroll concerns Judah and Jerusalem. And God has an objective for them. And yes, it's going to be crushing. But there's going to be fruit that comes out of it. There's going to be a lot of lost lives and quite devastation. It's going to be quite horrific. But in the process, God is getting what he wants, that true uh, repentance and that true covenant-keeping Jew, that, that this is, this, there's a promise around Judah, and this is going to come to pass, and there's a promise around Jerusalem. It's going to come to pass. Verse 4, when the Lord shall have washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion. So this is the process. So how can we have replacement theology? How, how can we say, like, oh, yeah, God is done with the Jews. This is all about Christianity now. That This is not about the church. This is about the physical descendants of Judah. And, and God's intention with this great tribulation is to wash away their filth and shall have purged the blood of Jerusalem from the midst thereof by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. So Jerusalem is a, in chapter one, it's a city that was beautiful but became full of harlots and murderers and complete corruption. And God, God hasn't forsaken Jerusalem. And Christ, in fact, in Matthew 24, he says, don't be deceived. Because the, the curse that he pronounced in Matthew 23, which is shown how it's going to be fulfilled in Matthew 24, with the abomination that makes desolate, many are going to conclude that, that th- this people are God-forsaken. This city is God-forsaken. And they're going to get confused. And, and they're going to get confused with his return and the purpose of his, his return. But he says to his true disciples, don't be deceived. God will never forsake Jerusalem. He's chosen Jerusalem. He says here, chapter 5 then, oh, very famous verse, so we're all familiar with it. Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. And this is speaking specifically of Judah. And Judah is spread out around the world, and certainly they have incredible influence over U.S. policy. Uh, And so they cannot, and this is, you know, again, our nations are clearly celebrating evil. And, and it's amazing, you know, here in Canada, uh, you know, we have this Pride Month, this, this sort of sodomy is celebrated, and yet Christian pastors are, are, are on the run. They're fugitives, and, and they're, they're showing up to arrest pastors with, with incredible force, uh, SWAT teams going out to arrest them. Uh, like, wow, I didn't know the police were this powerful. I didn't know it because, you know, for quite a while I've been tracking the the you know, what the uh, Mohammedans have been doing to citizens of Canada. And it's quite horrific. And, and I, would, I thought that, you know, Canada cared about its citizens and that because of this sort of horror, uh, we would see these sort of SWAT teams show up at a mosque to, to root out the, the, who, who these terrorists are and, and who these criminals are. But I've never, no kind of show of force. Suddenly we have Christian preachers wanting to assemble and we see this incredible show of force. So, so this is evil. It's evil to them for Christians to gather and assemble to worship Christ. This is evil. But sodomy is good and should be celebrated. 
uh, there's a curse on people who, who are upside down in this way. Woe unto them that are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. And again, this is the curse of Judah, but it applies more broadly. And then in verse 26, he will lift up an, an ensign, a banner to the nations from far, and he will hiss unto them from the end of the earth, and behold, they shall come with speed swiftly. So this is a curse upon Judah, that God is going to summon these Gentile nations, and they're going to come and they're going to surround Judah, and they're going to destroy Judah, and they're at God's beck and call. So this is how he's actually going to purify Judah with the Gentiles. Then in chapter 6, uh, verse 11, and again, I'm just picking these verses. Hopefully it sort of triggers the memory of the chapter. But what we want is um, a flow. We want to sort of understand the storyline. So as we come now into these chapters between chapter 13 to 39, as these judgments are being pronounced upon nations, we understand the storyline. So chapter 6, verse 11, Then said I, Lord, how long? This is when Isaiah had the, the vision with, with God's throne. And, and overheard this conversation with God. And then he, he said he would go and, and pronounce this curse upon the people. But then he wanted to know, well, God, how long is this curse going to be upon Judah? And I said, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant. So that until is very important. This curse upon Judah is not forever. It's until. So, so there's, a, there's a, a purpose in their destruction. But until that, they have to be blinded to incur the Deuteronomic curses that they have earned. Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant, and the houses without man, and the land be utterly desolate. So there's an until. It's not forever. In chapter 7, we see this. <clears throat> this is going to be very important. That it was told the house of David, saying, Syria is confederate with Ephraim. And his heart was moved. This was uh, King Ahaz. His heart, he was terrified. These are powerful nations. And the heart of his people, as the trees of wood, are moved with the wind. So they just became cowards. They were just terrified. But, but it's noteworthy here that Ephraim, <laughs> these are a northern tribe, a uh, very powerful tribe, and part of the tribes of Israel, the sons, the sons of Joseph, they are joining with Gentiles, with Syria, to destroy Judah. So that Judah now, instead of turning to God, turns to Assyria for protection. But th this is in the promised land. This is the Moses said, hey, you're going to go. Joshua will take you in. And, and now they're in. And can you believe it? The, the tribe in the north, the brother of Judah, or, or you know, Joseph, the brothers of Judah, but this tribe of Ephraim, they, they go to Syria. And then Judah turns to us to Assyria. This is this is this is the state of affairs. Uh, verse fourteen. Then God says He asked uh, Ahaz to ask for a sign. He wouldn't. Uh, Therefore, the Lord Himself shall give you a sign, even though you didn't ask for it. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. And what we noted at this, this must have been um, Isaiah's wife, that a, a maiden, a maid, well, a young lady will conceive. Uh, she's going to bear a son, and his name is going to be called God with us. But at the same time, we know this is dual, and it has a later fulfillment, because in Matthew, Matthew opens this gospel with exactly this verse. <clears throat> and in this case, it really was a, a true virgin. Then in chapter 8, Behold, I and the children whom Jehovah has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel from the Lord of hosts, which dwells in Mount Zion. 
So then we have these two sons. One was Maher Shalal Hashbaz, which means destruction is coming swiftly. And the other was Emmanuel, which means God is with us, which makes sense that the destruction is coming swiftly to purify Judah, but it will not destroy and overwhelm Judah completely because God is with them. Then we see this in chapter 9, verse 6, the ultimate fulfillment of Emmanuel, where Judah says, and, and you know, for unto us, we, we read it in context, there, were, there was a, this is part of a logical argument that Judah will not be destroyed by these enemies. Why? Because unto us, Judah, this child is born, and unto us this son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, despite the power of our enemies. We have a son that's been given to us, and the government will be upon his shoulder. That's why we will not be destroyed. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Then later on in chapter 9, we see this. Manasseh against Ephraim, and Ephraim against Manasseh. These are brothers, and they're fighting each other. And they together shall be against Judah. So even though they, they hate each other, they hate Judah more. And so they're willing to cooperate with each other to hate, to, to destroy Judah. This is the state of affairs in the promised land. For all this, his anger is not turned away. So this is the Maher Shalal Hashbaz. So they are going to have swift destruction. But his hand is stretched out still. This is the Emmanuel. That they will not, Judah will not be completely destroyed. And the tribes of Israel will not be completely destroyed because of the covenant. Then we saw in chapter 10, how is God going to do this? O Assyrian, the rod of mine anger. So the the Assyrians are called out exclusively and specifically as the tool that God is going to use to destroy Judah. And the staff in their hand is my indignation. In fact, I shouldn't say just Judah. Uh, Originally, it was Israel. The northern tribes were wiped out from Assyria uh, by Assyria. They were then coming down to the south. This is what then... um, uh, Judah had to understand they will not destroy Jerusalem. That, that they, they tried, but they could not because Jerusalem was under God's protection. But in the end time, we see that this Assyrian will be used to destroy, yes, Israel, but more specifically Judah. So here he says, I will send him against a hypocritical nation. And to the people of my wrath will I give him a charge. And again, this is speaking of Israel, to take the spoil and to take the prey and to tread them down like the mire of the streets. That happened anciently, but there's a dual application to this. And it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of Israel, and such as are escaped of the house of Jacob, shall no more again stay upon him that smote them. So again, we see the dual application of this, that in in the end time, Israel is going to be destroyed, but there's going to be a remnant of Israel, and that's going to be joined to Judah. And Israel and Judah will be one stick, Ezekiel tells us this. So, so Israel is not completely written off. They're going to be integrated back in to the covenant through Judah. But they will no more wait upon him that smote them, but shall stay upon the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, in truth. So God is driving to this repentance for, through, through all the tribes. The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob. So this is now, now I said, you know, this is a scroll regarding Judah. However, you know, and we don't want to be sloppy and just apply it generally to everybody, unless the prophet tells us specifically. So here he's telling us specifically, there's a broader application than just Judah to some of this. And the broader application is Jacob. That yes, it's Judah. However, 
there's a broader application for Jacob and all the tribes of Israel ultimately will be, will be redeemed or a remnant of them unto the mighty God. Verse 24, Therefore thus says the Lord God of hosts, O my people that dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrian. So now he's talking to the Jews. Don't be afraid of the Assyrian. He shall smite you with a rod and shall lift up his staff against you after the manner of Egypt. So we know that Egypt was, was a terrifying force, ter- terrifying oppressive force. There was no way out from this oppression and slavery except for the miraculous exodus. And this is a duel. So there is going to be a second exodus. But the power that is going to hold God's people captive, that, that God is going to miraculously intervene and free them from in this massive second exodus that the first exodus from Egypt will not, will not even be mentioned again, that power is the Assyrian. Verse 25, For yet a very little while, and the indignation shall cease, and my anger in their destruction. So again, that's what uh, chapter 6 said, that this, this anger against Judah is not forever. It's until. Then in chapter 11, uh, we see the rede- where the redemption is going to come from. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. So we see the Messiah is going to come out of Jesse. Verse 9. And when this happens, there's this vision that Isaiah is given of the new Jerusalem, or it's not the new Jerusalem, sorry, but the millennial Jerusalem. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. So this knowledge, this Torah knowledge, is going to be spreading from Zion all over the world. And Zion's going to be this place of incredible peace after incredible destruction and violence. Verse 10, And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for a banner of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. This is the the Sabbath millennial rest. It's going to be glorious. And all the Gentiles from around the world are going to come and seek this, even though this is coming out of a period where the Gentiles have intense uh, pathological hatred for Judah. And we're seeing that, we're seeing the, t- the, the seasons change. We're heading into a dark winter for Judah. Uh, I didn't think I would see it in my lifetime, but it's clearly happening at an accelerated race, rate, and it's in fact being accelerated by the current administration. They're, they're, they are hypocritical, and they speak out of both sides of their mouth, but they are funding terrorists. There's this um, persecution or this war, we could call it, that's taking this terrorism that's taking place against Judah today, the nation we call Israel, this is being funded by the Biden administration. Even though they, they, they talk about, oh, Israel this and Israel that, they're actually funding terrorists. But this is coming. There's going to be great peace, and people are going to be seeking this glory that comes out of Zion. Then he says this in, chapter, in verse 13 of chapter 11. The end, at this time, the envy also of Ephraim shall depart. And the adversaries of Judah shall be cut off. So Judah just comes under intense persecution, but God is going to cut off this persecution. But also he speaks of this envy with Ephraim. Ephraim shall not envy Judah. So the envy of Ephraim is directed towards Judah. And Judah shall not vex Ephraim. So there's now this conflict between Ephraim and Judah. And, and the, you know, Ephraim was the most powerful tribe in the north. 
And it, it, in, in prophecy, it's really a code for all the tribes of the north. And Judah is a code for all the tribes of the south. So this, in, this verse encompasses, encompasses the 12 tribes of Israel. So today, what we see, the, the, the duplicitous uh, nature of the current administration of America uh, and, and their, their envy, you could say, of Judah, their, their despising of, of Judah, this is going to stop. Uh, so there's this conflict we see between Ephraim and Judah. Uh, this is going to come to an end. And, and it's really not just the current administration, but they're leading the way. Canada's the same. I'm sure Australia, all these nations are going to turn their back on Judah. And the Lord shall, verse 15, the Lord shall utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. That's Arabic. And that's Islam. And that's where the, the, the root of this hostility is coming from. It's coming out of the Quran. It's coming out of the Hadith. It's coming out of the Sirah. It's coming out of this ideology that has a pathological hatred for Judah. And, and everybody's buying into this and, 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 and seeing that the Jews have no right to be in Israel. They say that's not their land. It's the land of the Canaanites. It's the land of the Palestinians. And so, so there's this uh, Arabic force that, that's being marshaled. And this is something that Muhammad did incredibly, it was almost miraculous, to unite the Arabs under this ideology that at the root of it has a pathological hatred for Judah. So that's what's happening. God is saying, I'm going to utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. And with his mighty wind shall shake his hand over the river and shall smite it in the seven streams and make men go over dry shod. So this is the second exodus is coming. Verse 16, and there shall be a highway for the remnant of his people. So there's going to be great destruction, but Satan wants to destroy all the people. But God is going to intervene to ensure that he can fulfill his promises to the fathers, to the patriarchs. And so there's going to be this highway. This is this massive exodus that's going to, God is going to pull off for the remnant of his people, which shall be left from Assyria. Assyria is what we have to have our eyes on. And today this is what we call the land of Turkey. So Assyria, 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 God's word cannot be broken. And the second exodus, the power that's going to enslave God's people is Assyria. And the power that's going to be broken and God is going to release his people as he did with the Pharaoh is Assyria, like as it was to Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. This is the second exodus. And it's going to be the, 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 the Pharaoh, so to speak, of the end time is going to be what we call Turkey which is uh, this Ottoman Empire, or this resurrection of the Ottoman Empire. Chapter 12, verse 1. And in that day you shall say, O Jehovah, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, the subject again is Judah and Jerusalem, though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away, and you comfort me. This is what Isaiah said right in chapter 1. This is what's going to happen. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to purge you. I'm going to clean you. I'm going to remove the filth from the daughters of Zion. So, so yes, he was angry, but not to destroy them completely, not to remove them, but to purify them. Verse 2, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. And, and so we have to make sure we understand this so that we can preach these words of comfort. Comfort you, my people. So somebody needs to understand and comfort his people so that they're not afraid. Okay, this is what we have to go through. But God has not forsaken us. For the Lord Yehovah, the, the, for Yehovah Yehovah, he says it twice, is my strength and my song. 
he also has become my Yeshua, my salvation. Chapter 13. So now chapter 13. So all of that is the context. That's the storyline. And it should be very clear to us. There's a very clear subject matter here. And the subject matter is the covenant that God is in with Judah and Jerusalem and what he has to do to purify them and how he's going to do it. And now we begin these series of judgments beginning in chapter 13, which begins with Babylon, the curse of, on Babylon, the burden of Babylon, which Isaiah the son of Amoz did see. So then we went through these, these uh, chapter 13 and 14 to see the, uh, the curse that's going to be on Babylon. And it's interesting that this is the center. This is where God focuses. And we know in the future, the whole world is going to be patterned after Jerusalem. But today, the whole world is patterned after Babylon. So even though it looks like the Assyrian is going to be the power of the end time, it also is going to be patterned after Babylon. So there's something very um, mysterious, uh, but very, um, how should we say, it's, it's a pattern, it's, a, it's primary. There's a primary mold that comes out of Babel and spreads throughout the whole world. And so the whole world is running after this Babylonian system and, and it's modeled after this Babylonian system. And so this is the first uh, nation that's called out for its curse. And he says, from there, and I will punish the world for their evil because they're all patterned after this Babylonian system and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. Again, this constant um, calling out of pride. And will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. Behold, and again, in this we're going to see God's focus is on the Middle East. If we've got to locate Jerusalem, and then we've got to locate her neighbors. And this is where God's focus is, because the covenant, it's not just a personal relationship covenant. It's a land covenant. The covenant involves land. And so God is very, very focused on the land. And the people have to be cursed and removed from the land. And then, according to the covenant, the people need to be brought back to the land. So the focus of the Bible is the Middle East. And I, I think sometimes in the West, we get a little bit self-centered, and we try to make the focus of the Bible the West. But it's not. The focus of the Bible is the Middle East. Behold, he says in verse 17, I will stir up the Medes against them. This is how Babylon is going to be destroyed, through the Medes, which today we would call Iran. The Medes, of Persian, Medes and Persians. So these are the people that today are descends, descended from the Medes. So these are the Iranians. So I will stir up the Medes against them, which shall not regard silver, and as for gold, they shall not delight in it. So in terms of an end-time prophetic fulfillment of this, we know the Shiites hate the Sunnis. The only thing they hate more than the Sunnis are the Jews. But the Babylonians, the Iraqis, they are Sunni, uh, ISIS. but the Shiites, Iranians, they are, they are, or the Iranians are Shiite. And there's an intense hatred. These people will blow up mosques. These people, while, while Sunnis are worshiping, it's like apparently the same God, Shiites will go in and blow themselves up to destroy these people. So there's an intense hatred between these two clans. And they don't care about money. They just want to destroy. So it looks like, and they have their nuclear, or they're becoming a nuclear power. So God's going to stir up the Medes against the Babylonians. In chapter 14, then, it opens, For the Lord will have mercy on Jacob. This is, this is it. This is, this is the storyline. This is what we understand, that Jacob is not written off. The tribes of Jacob will be restored. Because all of this is going to happen, and he's going to destroy Babylon, he's going to destroy these other nations, but his intent is to have mercy on Jacob and will yet choose Israel. 
and by Israel here we mean the 12 tribes of Israel, and set them in their own land, which is in the Middle East. So when he returns, he's going to gather them from the four corners of the earth and set them in their own land. It is not the land of the Palestinians. It's not the land of the Canaanites. It was taken away from them by the Creator, and it was given to the sons of Israel. And they are, they, they are being taken out of the land because of the Deuteronomic curse, but they will be restored into the land, back to the land, because of the Deuteronomic blessing and the covenant and the promise that God has made. So he's going to set them in their own land, and the stranger shall be joined with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. It's going to be like, wow, everybody's going to recognize God is the God of Jacob. And, and Gentiles are going to just be passionate about being a part of the, Jacob, the Jacobite blessing. In verse 16, uh, this is this, this leader uh, over the Babylonian nation. They that see you shall narrowly look upon you and consider you saying, is this the man, the ish, the man that made the earth to tremble, that did shake kingdoms? So even though we saw uh, last week this prophecy against, or maybe the week before, this prophecy against, um, or sorry, this prophecy regarding Lucifer, and his fall from heaven, which we quote quite often. In context, when we read the, the scroll in context, it is very much about Judah and Jerusalem. And what this um, Satan incarnate, because Satan is trying to model himself after God, so the same way Christ became incarnate, Satan takes a man who becomes incarnate and, and does the will of Satan and this, this power, uh, but it's a man that is carrying out the will of Satan which is to destroy all Jews, to destroy all Israel. And in that context, we see this, how, how did you fall? How did you collapse? How did this, this didn't go well for you, did it? Because you were working against the counsel of the Lord and the counsel of the Lord will be fulfilled. So now this man, whoever this, this incarnate of Satan is, this beast political power, that the, the people are gonna say like, wow, is this, is this, is this the guy? And I said at the time last, it was the last week or the week before, he's probably naked and just thrown down. He's not going to get a, a, a burial. People are looking at this, scratching their heads. Is this the guy that did shake kingdoms? And then in verse 24, the Lord of hosts, Yehovah Zavuot, has sworn. Oh, okay. Whatever comes after this, we know it's ironclad. It cannot be broken because God has sworn. Abraham understood this, saying, surely as I have thought, and this is in the context of Lucifer, Lucifer doing his utmost to destroy the, the plan of God. But God says, look, I have sworn saying, surely as I have thought, that's how it's going to come to pass. This is why he declares the end from the beginning and from ancient times that which is not yet done, saying, my plan, my purpose, my counsel, it doesn't matter who's against it, it's going to stand. That's what makes him God, that he speaks and he does exactly what he says he's going to do, and nobody can stop him. No other God can do this. Surely as I have thought, and then he tells it all in advance. That's the power of these scriptures. Show me any other scripture that can do this, uh, uh, tell in advance what's going to happen in detail. There's none, because there's no other God. Surely as I have thought, so shall it come to pass, and as I have purposed, so shall it stand. And this is in the context of Judah 
and Jerusalem being glorified and God being glorified in Israel. He's purposed this and nobody can withstand it. Even if the Satan throws his, all his power and might at it, cannot be withstood. Now he says this in the same chapter that is a condemnation of, of, on Babylon. And we saw in Zechariah 5 how this wickedness, wherever it is, it's going to go back to Babylon. And it has to go back on its base where all of this, this system began at the Tower of Babel. It's all going back there in the end time. But it looks like the, the actual power ruling over Babylon in the end time is the Assyrian. Because the Exodus is going to break the back of the Assyrian. That I will break the Assyrian in my land. So the abomination that makes desolate, it looks like it is actually being driven by the king of the north, the Assyrian. And upon my mountains tread him underfoot. Then shall his yoke depart from off them and his burden depart from off their shoulders. So this is when the freedom finally comes for Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 26, this is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. It is impossible to understand what's happening in the world today excuse me, unless we understand God's purpose. That every, it's like, you know, sometimes you, you're looking at the sky and the clouds are just moving so gradually, so slowly, and then they start to get darker and there's a storm coming, but it all just happens so gradually. Well, the earth is being reconfigured and, and maybe it's not so gradual anymore, but unless we understand the purpose that God has purposed upon the whole earth, we won't understand. And the central role of Jerusalem and Judah to this purpose. So, so sometimes we're just, again, so caught up in the Western world that we're not looking to the East, to the Middle East, and specifically to Jerusalem. God says, watch. Watch Jerusalem. These prophecies are concerning Jerusalem. And then he says, watch. So this is the purpose. We have to understand this storyline because this is the purpose that is purposed upon the whole earth. God is going to prove himself mighty to save from the Assyrian. And this is the hand that is stretched out upon all the nations. And then we saw this. Rejoice not you, O Palestina, the Palestinians, who are going to rejoice because Judah's going to be broken. And the Palestinians are going to, Allahu Akbar, and think this is fantastic. Uh, no, no, don't, not so fast. Don't rejoice, Palestinians, because the rod of him, that's Judah, that smote you is broken. For out of the serpent's root shall come forth a cockatrice, and his fruit shall be a fiery flying serpent. So again, we need to kind of combine this with Zechariah 12 to see how Judah will, will get the upper hand over her enemies. Last week then, we came to then chapter 15, which now we're beginning to see this judgment upon these neighboring nations, the burden of Moab, which today is the uh, nation that we call Jordan, or the Jordanian peoples. This is now a curse on Moab. Because in the, night of, in, in the night Ar of Moab is laid waste and brought to silence. Because in the night Ker of Moab, these are cities, great cities, is laid waste and brought to silence. So then we went uh, last week and we saw these curses on Jor the Jordanian peoples, again, neighbors of Judah, which clearly are going to have some prominence uh, in the end time for these, the end time fulfillment of these prophecies. So just before we go to chapters 17 and 18, which are short chapters, um, I just want to read this verse from Isaiah 55, which we've already, it's in the archive, chapter 55, but this is what we've already read, that God has a purpose for the earth, and his word has a purpose. And this is a very, very familiar um, 
afraid. Isaiah, Isaiah has so many verses that are so familiar to us. We can also probably repeat them by heart. But what we can't do or what we don't do is read them in context. What is the actual context of these verses? So this verse says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please, and it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. And if we read this in context, this is not just sort of generally speaking, oh, the Bible is a great book, and anything that God says, you know, he's going to do this. This is in context specifically about Judah, that God has put a promise on the tribe of Judah and on Israel. And, and despite the power of the devil and the Gentile nations, this thing that he's promised for Judah, it's going to come to pass. So with all of that kind of survey of where we've been, and hopefully it triggers a memory of the past chapters that we've covered, that I think is going to help us as we're going through this march through the judgments of these various nations, that it has to do with God using these nations to destroy Judah and Jerusalem and more broadly Israel, but not to destroy them completely. The purpose is actually to purify them so that he can establish them in the land, in their own land. And then, and then because they are the apple of his eye, uh, you know, we, we do not want to be guilty of in any way harming or cursing the seed of Abraham. Because it's very clear, if you do that, you're cursed. And that's why I say the, the current administration, the most powerful man in the world right now in the U.S., uh, he's cursed. He's cursed. He's cursing the children of Abraham. And any of us who get caught up with these Marxist, uh, Islamic, Mohammedan movements we're cursed too, regardless of where, where we stand or what church or affiliation we have. The word of God cannot be broken. And, and there's quite a judgment on the church in the end time. We don't want to be under that judgment. So we need to just make sure that we're not on the wrong side. So this, this word, that, this, the, basically what we see, what we've seen in this survey is, is God has a plan. And the whole earth is involved in this plan. And right now we are witnessing the whole earth being reconfigured so God can show himself mighty to save. So let's now quickly um, read chapters 17 and 18. And what I want to do, just the, the King James, this is just narrative. So I'm just going to pop over to the complete Jewish Bible and, and read it in the complete uh, Jewish Bible just because it's, it's narrative, a bit of it is historical. Um, the, the King James, I think, just makes it a little more challenging uh, to understand. <clears throat> so let's just read the narrative of chapters 17 and 18. Some of it is a little bit unclear, but I think we'll get the gist, and then we'll finish for this evening. Isaiah 17 and verse 1. This is a prophecy about Damascus. This is Syria. And we saw earlier that Ephraim and Syria joined forces to destroy Judah. If you curse the seed of Judah, you are cursed. And so even Ephraim now comes under the curse. But that we, we, need, we see now that, that Syria, goes, and today, like in the end time, Syria, Iraq, and, and Syria, that this is ISIS. So, so this, is, this is, we're going to see this. Uh, we're going to see that Ephraim, which represents the, the northern tribes, uh, are actually would rather support the likes of ISIS then support Judah. That, that's where we're heading. And we're already seeing hints of this, where the current administration in the U.S. would rather support the Palestinians than support Judah. 
This is a prophecy, and, and by that I should mean the Hamas. This, this clearly terrorist organization, the, the administration would rather fund funnel money to Hamas, funny money, funnel money to Iran, rather than stand with Judah. The, the whole, uh, again, I didn't think I'd see it in my lifetime after World War II, and never again, and you know, we'll always remember. And it, this is all out the window. Everything is upside down now. Everything's up for grabs. This is a prophecy about Damascus, so that's Syria. Damascus will soon stop being a city. It will become a heap of ruins. So these are going to be very glorious nations that look unstoppable. But God's word said, it says they're going to become a heap of ruins. The cities of Aurora will be abandoned, given over to flocks lying down undisturbed. So it's just this complete destruction of these people. And uh, my sense is this is going to be the Assyrians that are going to come in and wipe these people out. <clears throat> so again, in our modern language, this is a bit speculation, but based on the word, uh, Turkey is going to become a very powerful empire. This is the, the Ottoman Empire being resurrected. And that clearly, uh, Erdogan has made that clear. That's his intent. And they had, a, they had a very wide footprint and they want to reclaim it. So, so who's going to be victorious between ISIS and Turkey? My money would be on Turkey. <clears throat> if, so after condemning Syria, the prophet immediately turns his attention to Ephraim. Because remember, we saw Ephraim and Syria were confederate. Ephraim will have no defenses. Damascus will cease to rule. So they go down together. That was your choice. You chose to turn against Judah and to side with a Gentile power. Okay, you're going to come under the same curse. Damascus will cease to rule, and Aram's survivors will share the fate of Israel's finest sons, says Yehovah Zavavot. So what this is saying is, um, Damascus is going to be destroyed, but so is Ephraim, which today means the northern tribes and would include Manasseh. So they're both going to be destroyed. But kind of rather than say uh, Ephraim will share the destruction of Damascus, what the prophecy says is Damascus will share the destruction of Israel's finest sons. So, so it's, this is amazing. Uh, Israel chose to go against Judah. And this is a scroll concerning Judah and Jerusalem and how God is going to be mighty to save and establish himself in Judah and Jerusalem. And so Ephraim comes under the curse of the Gentiles. When that day comes, Jacob's glory will wane and his full body grow thin. And so Syria is going to come under the same curse. As when the harvester collects the standing grain, reaping the ears of grain with his arm, yes, as when they glean the grain in the Rephaim Valley, Yet gleanings will be left, as when, the beating, as when beating an olive tree, two or three olives at the very top, four or five on its fruitful branches, says Yehovah Zavot, the God of Israel. So, so Syria is going to come under the same destruction. But kind of fortunately for Syria, uh, it's going to be like Israel, where they had glory, that glory is going to be taken away from them, they're going to be destroyed, but yet there's still going to be a couple of fruit left. There will be a remnant. So it looks like there will also be a remnant of Syria. On that day, a person, this is really an Israelite, will heed his maker finally and turn his eyes toward the Holy One of Israel. So they finally stop playing the fool. And they, this is Israel. They finally acknowledge the God of Israel, their, their, their God. 
He will pay no heed to the altars made with his own hands. So we see today the nations of Israel pursuing every possible idolatry, every possible form of paganism. They think they're sophisticated. They're going backwards. These, these practices that they're engaged in now, you know, specifically pedophilia, but adultery, uh, homosexuality, pedophilia, all these practices were forms of pagan religious worship. And that's what they're actually getting involved in. But they will finally come to this place where they're throwing all that away. You know, we see this again, these parades. This is religious worship. They're trying to pretend it's not, but this is, this is a worship of a god. This is ancient. This is, well, this, is, this is not new. But they think they're so sophisticated that they will pay no heed to the altars made with their own hands. He will not turn toward that, toward what his fingers made, the sacred poles and standing stones for sun worship. This is what they're all involved in. And, and, and who knows what they're doing behind the scenes, the actual true satanic worship that's taking place behind the scenes. We, we're not privy to this, but it, it's definitely happening. When that day comes, his strong cities, so all of this is the condemnation of Ephraim. They chose to go against Judah. And this is the original pattern. This is also the end time pattern we'll see as well. When that day comes, his strong cities, with which others abandoned when Israel advanced, will be like abandoned woods and forests. They will be laid waste. For you have forgotten the God who saved you. <laughs> have we, have we, like just think of World War I and Two. I think everybody acknowledged that the, the West was very religious and truly acknowledged the God of the Bible, that there's no way they could have survived unless there was uh, uh, supernatural intervention. You have forgotten the God who saved you, failed to remember the rock of your strength. So you plant pagan-style gardens and set up vine cut cuttings for a foreign God. And this, every, all over the West, they're doing everything they can to abandon the God of the Bible and pursue every form of paganism. Though you make them grow, and even though they want to call it science, and it's the environment and science, it's pagan worship. Though you make them grow on the day you plant them, and in the morning your seedlings flower so that you think you're doing something here, the crop will vanish the day disease comes, a day of incurable pain. This is the curse on Ephraim. These, these are the, uh, the, the Israelite nations. We have to understand the code. These are the Israelite nations. So Ephraim represents the north. Judah represents the south. So these tribes are now around the world. This is the curse. And it shouldn't be hard for us to understand. Like Who, who are these uh, nations today? It should be very evident. Who, who are these nations that, are, that have, have built incredible power and wealth based on the standards of the Bible? Oh, the terror-stricken uproar of many peoples, roaring like the roar of seas and the rushing about of nations, rushing and surging like wild, wild waters. Yes, the nations will roar like the mighty ocean. So now the, the curse goes beyond uh, Ephraim to the nations. They're all coming under this curse. But he will rebuke them, and far will they flee, driven like chaff by a mountain wind, like green dust in advance of the storm. And all of this curse... The subject matter is Judah and Jerusalem. So the reason these nations, and, and Ephraim in particular, and Syria and their confederacy, the reason they're all being cursed, what they have done to Judah. The reason we will be cursed is if we're on the wrong side, if we get caught up with Marxist movements. 
with Mohammedan movements and end up cursing Judah. We can't. Our job is to preach the gospel, the good news to Judah, to comfort Judah with the good news, even though Judah hates us. That, that you know, We'll be hated by all nations for his namesake. We have to understand what that means. What is his namesake? What does it mean to preach the gospel according to his namesake and to be hated by all nations, but to carry on in love? Verse 14, as evening falls, you can see terror. Before sunrise, they have ceased to be. This is the cursing. This is the lot of those who plunder us. This is your curse. If you plunder the Jews, this is how it's going to end up for you. The fate of those who prey on us. God says, I have a purpose. And this purpose concerns the whole world. And so all nations are going to gather against Jerusalem. And they're all going to come under this curse. We need to understand what's happening in the earth. What is the purpose of the Lord? Chapter 18. Woe to the land of whirring wings beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. So, so these would be the Kushites. And it says sort of beyond the rivers, which uh, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe this is the, the Egyptians, uh, but it's some nation that's just beyond the Kushites. And in fact, the Ethiopians the, 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 or the Nubians uh, they were ruling in, into Egypt for quite a while. They send ambassadors by sea. So they're coming up the perhaps the Nile River uh, into the sea. Across the water in papyrus reed boats. Go, swift messengers, to a nation tall and bronze. So this, to me, seems like a, we, these are talking of black peoples. They're tall, they're bronzed. Um, and the prophet is saying, sending messengers to these people to a people feared far and near, to a strong and conquering nation whose land is divided by rivers. Again, this is why it leads me, maybe this is the Nile River and the river system, and this is the, the Egyptians, even though it's the Kushites or the Nubians who maybe have moved in and are ruling that land. All you inhabitants of the world, you who live on the earth, when a banner is hoisted on the mountains, look. So, so, and again, we know that Egypt is going to be the king of the south. We've got Assyria as the king of the north. Uh, so there's a lot of mischief going on here, and it's all against Judah. But the prophet says now to all the nations, because all the nations are going to agree, we need to remove the Jews. We need to destroy the Jews. But the Jewish prophet here calls out, all you inhabitants of the world, you who live on the earth, God has a purpose for the whole earth, and Satan is seducing them, and we can't go along with it. When a banner is hoisted on the mountains, look, pay attention. When the shofar is blown, listen. We, we know this is coming, so we're not going to go along with, with the way the world is going. For Yehovah has said this to me. So this is the prophet saying, I heard this from Yehovah. I will look on from my place and do nothing. Like heat shimmering in the sun. So we've all seen those days when the sun is shining and you can kind of see it's a hot day and you can see the heat shimmering. God is saying, I'm going to be like this. Like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. I'm just going to watch before I act. For before the harvest, when the flowering is over and the bud becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the branches with pruning knives. So he will act. Lop off the twigs and take them away. They will all be left to the vultures in the mountains and to the wild animals in the fields. This is the curse of anybody who goes up against his people. His people need to be purified. 
but I don't want to be involved in touching the apple of God's eye. I want to be involved in preaching the good news to the apple of God's eye, because this is the fate of all nations who go up against Judah and Jerusalem. They will all be left to the vultures in the mountains and to the wild animals in the field. There's going to be a wholesale slaughter of these people. The vultures will feed on them in summer, and the wild animals of the fields in the winter. That, that's how much slaughter there's going to be. There's going to be a feast for the vultures and the wild animals, summer, winter, all year round. There's going to be so many dead bodies. In another place in Isaiah, God says, I'm going to make a man more rare than fine gold. That's how much slaughter there's going to be, because God is angry about what these people have done to his people. At that time, tribute will be brought to Jehovah Zavoot, the Lord of hosts, from a nation tall and bronze. So whoever this nation is in the south. So, so first, um, last week we were looking at the, or the, when we looked at um, Assyria, Babylon, these nations were north of um, uh, Judah. Now these nations we're looking at that are south of Judah. And there's always been this focus on Jerusalem and the destruction of Jerusalem. And so whoever this nation is that's tall and bronzed, they're, they're going to be humbled. And they're going to be bringing tribute to Jesus Christ from a nation tall and bronzed, from a people feared far and near, from a strong and conquering nation whose land is divided by rivers, to the place where the name of Jehovah Zavoot lives. Where's that? Mount Zion. Mount Zion. So this again, that's why I wanted to just spend some time uh, picking up like all these chapters that we read so that we don't forget where we've been. I, I call this uh, scriptural amnesia. And then we just look at a chapter and it's beginning to get confusing. It's a little bit confusing because this has a historical application as well as prophetic, uh, a future time. And, but it can be even more confusing when we don't keep the storyline. And so ultimately the storyline is God has a purpose and it involves Mount Zion. And so we have to be very, very clear what that purpose is. This brings us to uh, Isaiah, uh, end of chapter 18. God willing, we get into chapter 19 next week, which has a couple of very interesting um, verses in there and some prophecies. So thank you so much, brethren, for uh, spending this time with me together as we go through the scriptures line by line. Uh, what a great God we serve. This, this, is, this God is so unique. There is no God that speaks and there's not a single word he has to take back. Not a single word that he speaks, he purposes from, from the beginning. And his purpose remains. And we're marching to the book of Revelation, which we've studied. It's in the archive. But the, the book of Revelation just brings everything that God began in Genesis to culmination. So we just have to understand what, what is God's purpose? What is his will? So that we can be preaching the good news more precisely. What a great God we serve. God bless you, brethren.